Hello, my name is Larry Lannon, the writer behind the local Fishers Indiana news blog, LarryInFishers.com. I started the blog in January of 2012, and it is still going. Four years after that, in 2016, I started the LarryInFishers.com podcast series featuring guests of local interest. That podcast is still going strong. Now, if you like the podcast and are listening on a platform such as iTunes, I'll just take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. It's time now for the latest LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the Hand Office in Noblesville. Hand Incorporated is a nonprofit based right here in Noblesville. And I'm here with the executive director of the organization, Andrea Davis. Andrea and I got to know each other when she was covering uh, north of 96th Street for the Indianapolis Business Journal. She calls herself a recovering journalist. I obviously have not recovered yet. <laughs> but, Andrea, it's good to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Larry. Well, uh, you, as an organization, have never really had a project in Fishers. Some other organizations have done some some uh, affordable housing uh, uh, units and projects there, but uh, the, your first project is about ready to break ground. Today is June the 2nd, as we record this, and uh, you're prepared to break ground in just a couple of weeks on a, a new project called Cumberland Cottages. It's actually been in the works for some time. Um, and with that groundbreaking, um, I guess that what I would ask you to do is just talk a little bit about about how this came uh, about, because obviously these projects don't happen quickly. I mean, <laughs> I think we had the city council vote on this in early 2021, which we'll talk more about in a moment. So talk about how this came together over time. Sure. Um, Hand as an organization, our, one of our main uh, goals is to develop, uh, build affordable housing uh, rental units for folks who just need a little bit of extra support. Um, we've seen housing costs increase much more quickly than incomes, so um, that has driven the need for more sort of attainable options for, for folks. And um, as, as part of our strategy, we're always looking for um, properties where we can build some affordable housing um, kind of throughout the county every community needs um, all sorts of housing options for folks you know kind of you think about your lifespan you have different housing needs sort of throughout it right as a child obviously growing up with your parents and then you're out on your own maybe you need a, a rental and then you buy your first home so you know we really feel like um, we as an organization HAND and also a broader organization, the Hamilton County Housing Collaborative, believe that anyone who wants to live in Hamilton County should be able to. Um, and so we're trying to provide the housing for that. So we didn't have a, a project in Fishers. Um, it's, it's simply a matter of um, land being available at a time that we were looking to acquire it, kind of a, a good fortune there. It is a very long process. You know, we have to find property owners who can be very patient with us. I think you mentioned the city council approval in um, 2021. I believe our first conversation with the property owners for this property, which is at 141st Street and Cumberland Road, I believe our first conversation with them was in late 2019. Oh, my goodness. So we're talking four years at least yes. that uh, this has been in the works. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there are 11 units. Uh, by the way, whatever happened with the garages? Are they going to have garages? Well, they are going to have garages. Okay. Yeah. So 11 rental units. We initially had hoped they would all be um, detached, so you know, freestanding units. But 
construction costs have inque- increased quite uh, significantly since we first started planning this. So we did um, pivot from our initial proposal so that we're building um, it's 11 units eight of them will be in duplexes and then three freestanding units it's also a mixture of attainable um, for those income restricted for folks earning up to 60 percent of area median income six units will be income restricted and then five units will be market rate uh, rents so no income restrictions although obviously all the usual you know sort of rental um, restrictions you know good credit and, and no criminal background, that sort of thing. And these people will be people who are working. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to demonstrate income in order to qualify and sufficient income to pay the rent, although obviously it's a little lower than market. And, uh, you know, the fact is, as you mentioned, we'll talk more about this later if we have time, the matching up of housing costs and what people are earning. Housing costs have gone a lot higher. This is just one small way of doing it. 11 units obviously is going to make a big dent, but it certainly would be great for the 11 uh, families that Absolutely. will live, in, which is a well, it's a very small uh, acreage, just what one or two acres. It's a little less than two acres, yeah. yeah. And that's you know, there are some developers, um, mostly for-profit developers, who try to you know when they build a, a development, they're looking at more units in the hundreds of in the hundreds instead of in the you know mo- maybe we do a dozen at a time. So I think that allows us to sort of blend into the community a little bit better rather than creating our own, you know, sort of distinct community. Um, We really, you know, these are folks who who live here already, who work in businesses here, and we don't want to sort of segregate them and, you know, put them off in the corner and say this is where people of your social, you know, your economic status live. So Well, really, I want to go back and talk about one aspect of this because it required a zoning variance for this to to come about that happened in early 2021 and that was in the height of the pandemic it was a totally virtual meeting i remember watching it (laughs) online as you were because you were there as a participant i was just there watching it as a journalist but uh Normally, and, and you remember this from your journalism days, and maybe even the work you do now, you go into a government meeting, you normally know how it's going to turn out ahead of time. Right. But in this case, we really didn't know. I wasn't sure how this vote was going to go. So I'm keeping track. People are talking about how they're going to vote. They're each giving their speeches. And then it was four to four, <laughs> tied. And we had one last city council member to hear from who sadly has has now uh, decided to resign after a long uh, period of both the town and city council david george an engineer by trade and what i found in really interesting about what he had to say is he went he went back the sun i think it was a monday night meeting sunday before he drove around and looked at some of the hand projects that had been done some years ago he talked about one that was i think 10 years old at that time and was very impressed by the way that the property had been kept up, well-maintained, and looked very good after a 10-year period. And, and that was one of the reasons, he gave several, that he voted in favor of this, because he felt it would be a good addition uh, to that neighborhood and to the city. Uh, so it was really a, a cliffhanger there. And I remember <laughs> listening, and you I think I heard a cheer in your mic at the time, because you were very, very happy to see that. Uh, it must be very encouraging to you to, to hear uh, comments like that for counselor, from Councillor George at that time. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of, of the things I think that sets hand apart as a, a property owner, 
Um, we are local. We visit our properties regularly. We do hire a third-party um, property management company to handle the day-to-day -day operations and ongoing maintenance, but that's important to us. We know that the success of our next application for funding and our next um, you know, invitation to a community depends on how our, our previous projects perform and look. If, if, it, if neighbors you know, are having problems with residents at our properties, that's going to make it more difficult for us to develop um, properties in the future. And so, you know, we try to to be good neighbors and, and be local and stay involved. We haven't ever sold any of our properties when we develop them. We intend to own them for the long haul and um, continue to provide attainable housing forever. The, the need is never going to go away. Yeah, because I think... What sets you apart from a commercial developer as a nonprofit is a lot of commercial developers, they're in it for a profit. They build the development, build it up, and then they sell it. And right. you don't know who the next owner is going to be and how that new owner is going to take right. care of things. And when you uh, develop a project, you, you hang in there and you stay with it. Even though you may hire somebody else to do it, you're overseeing the entire thing. For sure, yeah. Thing. And so we take great pride in it. I personally, mm -hmm. I live three miles from the Fisher's mm -hmm. site. And I'd regularly drive by it to make sure, you know, the grass is getting mowed. And, you know, we had a tree fall during some storms recently, so we got on that. You know, like I said, you know, we live in these communities, too. So we, we absolutely want our properties and the people who live there to be good neighbors everywhere they are. And, and that just will help us continue to be successful. I had to start off with that because that's the Fisher's connection. But the reason I wanted to, to, to set this up originally was to talk about your housing conference, which happened on May the 3rd. You had it at the Embassy Suites in Noblesville. Based on the news release that you uh, and I was try I wanted to go I couldn't make it I've got some personal responsibilities right now, but uh, but you drew about two hundred people, and uh, I would like you to just talk about the makeup of the crowd in the conference and uh, sure. how that impacted the dynamics there. Yeah, so this was our I believe ninth annual um, housing conference. It sort of evolved over the years. We call it now the suburban housing conference, and we try to really focus on issues that are impacting um, housing in the suburbs, which have a little bit different dynamics than, you know, kind of inner city or urban core. Um, more people realize that it's the housing crisis that we really are facing right now affects a much broader segment of the population than I think a lot of people think, quote unquote, affordable housing um, serves. You know, there we did rental assistance during COVID, and we were lucky enough to get a grant from United Way to, to help some folks pay their rent and mortgage and utilities during COVID. And we saw folks you would, you know, never, you know, folks with professional jobs, with low six-figure incomes that were having trouble during COVID because, you know, we're good spenders here in the United States. And, well said, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that that's really reassuring that we were able to draw so many people. You know, I think the first conference I planned, we maybe had 50 people. So it's growing. Um, the topic this year was workforce housing. I think this is, you mentioned um, before, that sort of disconnect between housing values and incomes. And that's really what's making this uh, housing crisis something we need to deal with because, um, the, the housing study we released at last year's conference showed that housing costs in Hamilton County in particular had increased, the sales price of homes had increased 88% from 2010 to 2019, which was the most recent data we had at the time. And I don't know about you, Lo, well, you're retired now, so uh, 
Supposedly. So you're not, you know, (laughs) hanging on the edge of your seat for your annual raise. But I can't think of very many working professionals at any level that saw an 88% increase in their salaries from 2010 to 2019. I mean, it's just, that's not. (laughs) So living standards basically go down when that happens. Absolutely. There's no other way to, to look at it. Instead of paying, you know, instead of your rent or mortgage being, you know, manageable, twenty five percent of your pre tax income, it becomes forty or fifty percent. So yeah, you, you're you're still living in the nice house, but maybe you got to go to the food bank to get food on the table towards the end of the month, and you know that's the type of thing, that's the dichotomy, and maybe we've talked about this before. You know, over forty food banks in one of the wealthiest counties in the in the state, if not the country. I got to think. The cost of housing is is contributing to that. Well, there's something else I want to ask about because you mentioned in your news release that uh, that there is a regional housing study in the works and it's not complete. But I understand there was some discussion about that. What was said, if anything, about how that study is going? Yeah, it basically um, the the presentation at the conference was basically just an effort to let folks know this was happening and and to keep an eye out for it. The Indianapolis Metropolitan Planning Organization, which works in a multi-county area um, in Marion County and some of some of the surrounding counties um, is has embarked on this study they brought in um, consultants from somewhere else I forget where um, and they're they're they've put together a steering committee that you know sort of guides the the consultants and the staff but the idea is to identify you know as, as you said you know Hamilton County isn't alone in this challenge you know every community has a housing challenge it's just a little bit different depending on your demographics and your growth rate but um you know for the most part central indiana is growing and we we're all having these housing challenges and and the mpo because of the regional nature of their governance and and their mission is looking at you know rather than hamilton county having its own you know study and and strategy shouldn't we approach this from a regional perspective so that, you know, every community has what it needs in terms of housing? So. Of course, Fishers did a housing study just recently. I think you've seen it. It's of a length. It's like 100 pages and a lot of data in there. But uh, a lot of what you just mentioned was all throughout that study. Yeah. And, I mean, you also have to have the will to do something with the study. I was I was part of the task force that worked with the consultants on that story, on that study as well. And I mean, I felt like it was a good exercise in collecting the data, but what's the value of a study if it's just you're going to collect the data and sit it on a shelf? I mean, it's intended to inform policy um, makers, policy decisions, and unfortunately, I think it kind of stopped short of that. Hamilton County, though, as I understand it, has $5 million in ARPA, the ARPA funds going all the way back to the the, the, the pandemic relief, yeah. and all the relief that was put there, the ARPA funds are, are still, so, they have $5 million of that sitting there. They want to use that to acquire some land, build some infrastructure for what they describe as an attaining, attainable, I can say it, an attainable <laughs> housing development. I understand County Commissioner Christine Altman was there. What did she have to say about that? Yeah, um, Christine was at our conference in 2022 as well and announced the availability of the $5 million in ARPA funds. The, the county got a total of $65 million and earmarked $5 million of that for um, some sort of attainable housing um, demonstration project. The idea being that we would build, you know, we, the collective we, of course, would build something that's attainable that um, 
could be replicated in other communities, you know, to kind of demonstrate it's not as, you know, there's a, there's a natural sort of NIMBY, not in my backyard opposition when I know when we go into a community, we get that, you know, sort of reflexively, regardless of what we're proposing or who we're proposing to serve. And that's part of the reason we do the conference is to try to educate the community, you know, because I think a more educated populace, you know, maybe makes more informed decisions about these types of things rather than reflexive. But, um, yeah. But nobody knows yet where it might be. That's all to be yeah, determined. What, how they've just, yeah, where it might be. And what Christine um, it did indicate during the conference was this is the plan, the idea being if the county uses that, that money to acquire land and, and put in infrastructure, that would lower the development expenses enough that developers could potentially build single-family homes, multifamily, um, you know, some apartments, you know, kind of a mixture, kind of like the old school the way neighborhoods used to be where you would have, you know, some single family, some, you know, like duplex, quadplex type of thing, and then maybe some multifamily, you know, all in a general area rather than everything being one product type. What Christine said during the conference, though, is they are discovering the um, the cost of the success of Hamilton County's growth and that when they're reaching out to property owners who, who do have property available, the costs are a little bit higher than... Um, than perhaps so <laughs> where it was expected. So. As housing goes up, the land on which the housing is developed is part of that oh, increased sure. cost. It's about a quarter. I think national yeah. studies have shown the cost of land is about a quarter of the cost of a of a home. Speaking of the cost of a home, you, you uh, have a nose for news still, even though you may not be a journalist <laughs> anymore in your news release. You provided one fact that a real estate representative uh, passed along at your conference that in 2023, Hamilton County had more $1 million home sales than sales under 200000 The numbers, 58 sales, uh, more than a $1 million, and of 200000 and below, 38. That uh, says something about where this market is going. Oh, for sure. And, and I have nothing against the million-dollar homes. Good for those folks that they can afford it. Um, unfortunately, it, you know, I'm, I, the part of that that surprised me the most was how few homes were sold under two hundred thousand dollars. Because, you know, that's the starter home, right? That's the the new family, you know, um, starting out. So, um, but I think it, it's indicative of a trend that we've started to see more of. We're seeing it right now in Fishers with the Cityway. Um, development that's proposed along Lantern Road, where where there are existing homes that maybe are a little bit older, you know, maybe predated the big population boom in Hamilton County, um, more modestly priced, sort of net, just naturally, not, you know, as part of any quote-unquote affordable housing program or whatever. Those are being demolished, you know, acquired, demolished, and replaced with million-dollar condos, or um, in the case of this Lantern Road thing, I think they acquired 16 properties and they're proposing somewhere in the neighborhood of 250, you know, a combination of apartments and condos and townhomes and whatever. But, you know, that's a, you know, to take 16, you know, we're building 11, right? That's not even going to replace the 16 homes that are being replaced for, for this project, which based on the look of it, I can't imagine is going to be affordable for very many people. 
Yes, I just think about my wife. You know, she built a house, a ranch house in Sunblessed before we were married in 1991. At that time, Fisher's was the place where you could buy a starter home like that. Well, those days are long gone in Fisher's for the most part. You have to go someplace else in Hamilton County if you can find if you such can, a yeah. You also talked about the Indiana General Assembly. Obviously, the state has a lot to do with housing policy. Uh, Anything that came up in your conference of interest there? Yeah, so the General Assembly last summer had a a housing task force that it convened to kind of talk about the housing crisis and and recommend some possible solutions. And so a lot of folks who pay attention to housing thought this year the General Assembly could be, you know, this could be the housing session for the General Assembly where they sort of address some of these um, issues that are barriers to additional production of homes. I mean, one of the reasons home prices have increased the way they have is we haven't been producing enough homes to keep up with the demand, particularly in Hamilton County, which is still growing. We're still adding jobs. You know, that's a lot of new um, households that we're not producing enough housing to meet that. So supply and demand, the existing housing becomes more expensive. Um, And I think that... uh Indiana is interesting because I just saw some some economic data yesterday, which indicates that Indianapolis Metro continues to grow, but it's kind of like the economic engine for the whole state. The rest of the state is just not faring nearly as well. Yes. Yeah, this is very true. And so that's what the General Assembly. So they... I think housing advocates were, were maybe a little disappointed that this wasn't, you know, the quote-unquote housing session of the, of the General Assembly. There, there were some. There was a, a measure that passed that will make it a little bit easier to cover some of the infrastructure costs for a new development. Um, I think it will allow. I don't believe it's kind of hard to keep track of the different iterations of legislation, you know, kind of in the heat of the moment. And I just haven't had time to go back and look yet. But I don't believe um, there's any affordability necessarily tied to it. But it essentially would allow communities to borrow money from the state to help a developer put in infrastructure for a new housing development, which is one of the higher you know, one of the more costly items in a development. And then, you know, it would be a low interest loan that would get repaid. There was also some um, kind of tenant rights and responsibilities legislation that um, Indiana is one of very few states that doesn't allow tenants to withhold rent in the case of, you know, if they have poor living conditions, you know, they don't have heat, they don't have water. And in the state of Indiana, you have to keep paying your rent or you could get evicted. And so there was some legislation, you know, trying to kind of enshrine some protections for renters in there so that um, it would hold landlords accountable to to provide actually habitable. um, uh, That I don't believe went anywhere, which was disappointing, of course. But um, any, any, movement in the right direction is progress, so we'll take them even baby steps if we have to. Yeah, the media's done a lot of stories on some of the land, and there are a lot of good landlords, don't get me wrong, but but there are some landlords who are not doing their part, and then the tenants are really stuck in a a bad situation the way the state law is is written. When you talk about Hamilton County, whether it's housing or anything, let's just stay with housing. Hamilton County is not all the same. I mean, you you have one housing situation where I live in Fishers, Carmel, uh, Westfield, to some extent, Noblesville. But if you go to a place like Cicero 
or Sheridan, or rural areas, mm-hmm. Arcadia, in the northern part of Hamilton County, uh, the situation is much different. So talk about how you have different housing situations in different parts of Hamilton County. Yeah, I, I mean, it really is like a tale of two counties. The The southern part of the county, sort of south of, you know, kind of generally State Road 32, is, is pretty urban. Um, you know, for a suburban area, you know, there are, you know, Noblesville, Westfield, Carmel, and Fishers, as far as suburbs go, are, pr- are pretty urban with, you know, city cores and, and that sort of thing. And, and as because they're sort of further along the development life cycle, they were, you know, the closest to Marion County. So they were the first to develop as 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 the the suburbs, um, you know, the costs are higher. There's there's limited land available in the developed areas, I think. Fishers has figured out there's really only 8% of their total land mass that they have left available for development. Supply and demand, that makes, obviously, um, land costs higher. Um, there's also, I think, most of the southern communities sort of implemented some development standards in, re- in response to the quick growth that happened in the 80s and 90s when, you know, you hear a lot about the vinyl villages, right? Um, I think they saw the error in that, you know, let's approve it as fast as they can build it strategy. But then that has, so that has resulted in higher standards, which are great, but that translates to more expense. Um, By contrast, the northern kind of half of the county, Cicero, Arcadia, Atlanta, Sheridan, um, they haven't had, you know, they're in the path of growth, but it hasn't quite made it there yet. So you can see them sort of, you know, land prices are starting to to inch up as as landowners realize, like, they're, they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, we might as well capitalize on it. I think, you know, so there's not as much new new homes in the northern counties. The, the housing stock is older, um, needs more work. I mean, you think about, you know, we're talking about, you know, small towns. These homes were built. You know, probably a hundred years ago, and and they're not getting a lot of reinvestment and love. So, we see a lot of opportunity. You know, maybe for an acquisition rehab, or you know, um, acquire something and and replace it with something a little more livable. Um, but one of the challenges the northern communities have that I don't think a lot of people realize is is infrastructure, not just the roads, but water supply, wastewater, and sewer. Um, we were on the path to acquire a property and develop it in Arcadia and discovered they can't approve any more residential uh, units there until they build a new water tower, which they are now in the process of doing. But again, these projects take so long to put together that, you know, it, 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 probably by the time we actually identify a project, apply for it and get it funded, they'll have the water, but we don't want to start too soon. Right. You know, Infrastructure is interesting. Getting away from Indiana, just saw an article today or yesterday that Arizona has have, is having serious water problems, a supply. They've always had it, but they've never had to deny a housing development because of it. My understanding is that I think it was in Phoenix there just recently was a denial of, of a housing development because they could not guarantee the water supply. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever been to Las Vegas, you take a look at Lake Mead, that. The oh yeah, they're river. finding bodies and oh yes, all kinds of stuff scary there. stuff there to be sure. But uh, <laughs> the Colorado River, look at all of the different places that have uh, tapped into the Colorado River, and correct me if I'm wrong. That's mostly from like snowmelts northern 
north of there, and those snows have not been coming as yeah. they have in the past. So there's a whole lot of interconnected things happening there. Well, even so, in Cicero, which yeah. you know is a lake town on mm-hmm. a reservoir, mm-hmm. that is not available to the town of Cicero. That reservoir belongs to Citizens Energy. I that's think. right. That's right. That, so, that is true. So, so I know Cicero is actually looking for additional water sources so that it can increase its capacity. It's built it. With the permits that it has already issued for housing there, it's built out. It cannot issue more permits for housing until it has a new source of water. That's one of the reasons the county is a, a good portion of that $65 million ARPA investment is actually going to start a water, wastewater utility in the Baker's Corner area, mm-hmm. which is kind of northwest, kind of um, like, say, 236th Street and um, State or Highway 31, 31. Yeah, yeah, 31 is kind yeah. of the Baker's Corner area. And that's obviously not developed yet, but the idea is by putting that infrastructure in, that will make it more appealing to developers, you know, commercial developers along the 31 corridor and, and others. So. so you have to have water or you right. cannot have housing. Simple exactly. as that. Um, I want to ask this last thing I want to ask has to just touch on something we've already discussed, but I want to give you a chance to get into it a little more. Again, Hamilton County's southern cities are the urban cities, if you will. Fishers, Carmel, Westfield, to a certain extent, Noblesville to the north. Fishers has been fairly successful in its economic development efforts to bring in high-wage jobs. The life science area is a good example of that. So there are a number of people who may be attracted to Fishers. They may or may not live there, but certainly the jobs being created. But there are a lot of jobs that are not in that category. And how will, you think, in the long term, places like Fishers, Carmel, Westfield, to a certain extent Noblesville, be able to continue to economically grow when some of the wages, not all, but some of the wages may not match up with the housing costs? What what are the strategies these cities should be looking at for the future? Well, um that's a loaded question. Sorry, I, didn't mean to load it for you there, but it's, it's all good. Yeah. Um, to speak to that last point first, you know, what should, could or should cities be doing to to address this? I mean, first comes the awareness. They have to acknowledge that it's a problem. Um, I think, and then, and I'll come back to this. Then there are things they can be doing. I think cities like like Carmel and Fishers have an advantage because they're literally on the county line that it is feasible, conceivable, that folks who can't afford to live in Fishers or Carmel could conceivably live nearby in Marion County or even, you know, Anderson or something like that and get there. The question becomes, though, at what point are those workers going to get tired of driving 20 minutes when there's a job that probably pays the same amount closer to their, to the, to their um, residence? Um, and then I think it's more problematic when you look at, you know, kind of that next tier of Noblesville and Westfield that isn't quite as close to Marion County. You know, Westfield's got some proximity to Kokomo. But again, you know, how many, you know, how many days are you going to drive from Kokomo to Westfield to work a $10, $12 an hour job when you can find that in Kokomo probably? So, you know, I don't think it's created a problem yet because everybody's got, you know, kind of nationwide, everyone's got the same kind of housing crisis woes um but it's going to get to a point where businesses realize in order to get someone to work you know at the taco bell by grand park they've got to pay more than they at the taco bell in kokomo and so but you know why don't we just open a taco bell in kokomo then and we don't so 
you know, those are business decisions made by people way smarter than I am. But we have started to see, um, I've started to see some communities acknowledging the value of certain employees and then saying we want to absolutely make sure those employees are living in our community. The city of Bloomington, for example, which is very progressive when it comes to housing, has instituted a um, like a rental assistance, down payment assistance program for its police officers and firefighters. I mean, Bloomington obviously as a college town has, you know, kind of inflated uh, property values there, which makes it more difficult for public servants like police officers and firefighters, especially earlier in their careers, to live nearby. But the benefit to the city is their response time's much quicker, et cetera. So they, and I'm going to mess up the numbers so I won't even try, but it's a significant monthly rental assistance amount for firefighters and police officers and, and or I want to say like $15,000, $20,000 in down payment assistance in order to encourage. I'd love to see more cities do things like that. You know, your teachers, your hospital workers, your public service. We're fortunate in Hamilton County. Our, you know, firefighters, our first responders, for the most part, are, are compensated pretty well. But in in some communities, they're not. And we're also seeing not just com- towns, municipalities doing this, but employers saying, the pain is enough, you know, it's painful enough for me to get an employee to come and stay because turnover is also, you know, it's one thing to get that employee, that Taco Bell worker from Kokomo to come down to Westfield, but when they decide they don't want to do it anymore after a month, that's a cost to the business to, you know, that turnover. So you have um, businesses like Cummins and, and Cook down, you know, south of, of Indianapolis that are investing in developing housing for their workforce kind of hearkening back to the old, you know, kind of company towns back back in the day. So. Henry Ford. Right. <laughs> they look back at that. He sort of was the uh, pioneer. He did a lot of different things, good and bad, but certainly I think he's known for that. And I think the, the one last thing I'll, I'll, I'll just say though about all that is that I've been in so many meetings and heard it said so many times that, you know, a city is having issues with housing when your public safety employees cannot afford to live in the city. Yeah. Is that a pretty – have you heard that before? For sure. That yeah. and teachers. That's the other thing yes. where you have you know new teachers starting in a district and they're like, I can't afford to live here. You know, But, you know, IPS tried that. They built they some did. housing for the teachers, but the teachers apparently didn't respond. So you wonder, you know, sometimes you think you've got the answer and you have to experiment and figure right. out what works. And that one just didn't work. Well, it just kind of depends on how much you want it to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if – you think about like really high cost markets like Seattle, you know, place San Francisco that, you know, maybe, you, you know, do I want to live in housing that my employer builds because it's close to work? And, you know, maybe not if I had my druthers, but if that's the only option I have, by gosh, heck yeah. <laughs> Anything you'd uh, like to add before we close this out? I don't think so. Um, Other than, you know, thanks again for having us and and paying attention. You know, we're really excited to get started on Cumberland Cottages next month. It's about a 10-month construction timeline. So hopefully um, this time next year we'll have folks all moved in and comfy and happy there. Um, Andrea Davis is the executive director of HAND. Uh, Thanks again. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you'd like to comment on my blog, please do so with any suggestions. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind.